Welcome, Welcome to the Life Christian Church, Church Podcast, Podcast, where our where mission, our mission is, is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Life Christian Church. My name is Ryan Moore, pastor of care here at TLCC. We're so excited that you joined us on this Labor Day weekend for our worship experience. We're also excited for next week uh, as Pastor Terry is back here in the pulpit, um, coming back from a study intensive and also a sabbatical with his wife, Sharon. And as uh, Kevin said, uh, the 28 days to experiencing God's extravagant blessings, um, you can get that. It's a book that focuses on how much God wants to bless us, also how we can receive his blessing and we can be a blessing to this world. Uh, The book releases officially January the 3rd, however, like uh, Kevin said, you can check it out, pre-order Amazon, Target, and Barnes and Nobles. Um, today, I want to look at cultivating a life of prayer, cultivating a life of prayer. I want to look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. And we as Christians, we desire more than anything to overcome spiritual weakness and have a prayer life that changes our life. So in Colossians, Paul gives us some key principles on how to develop a powerful prayer life. George Barner, founder of the Barner Group, a market research firm specializing in studying the religious beliefs and behavior of Americans in 2017, conducted a poll on the prayer habits of American adults. This is what he found. According to George Barner, almost 90% of Americans say they pray. Over 60% of unchurched Americans, or those that have no religious affiliation, say they pray. And of those unchurched Americans, one in three believe that prayer makes a difference in their lives. Among believers in Christ, nearly 70% say that God personally answers their prayers. But exactly how do Americans pray? Bonner offers these insights. 95% express gratitude to God. 76% ask God to forgive particular sins, and 61% make specific requests of God. So the question for all of us today is this, how is your prayer life? I imagine that your answer would be, it depends. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. Prayer can be easy or difficult depending on many factors. There are days when we seem to touch heaven with our prayers, And then there's days where we feel as though our prayers are not working at all. But regardless of how we feel, if we want to know God better, nothing matters more than our prayers. Did you know that nearly 1,400 verses in the Bible speak about prayer? It's essential. Prayer is essential. My attention today is not to make you feel guilty. I want to spur us on that this message speaks life into us, and we have a passionate and fruitful prayer life. So what are some obstacles that challenge us in cultivating a life of prayer? Well, number one, we are too busy for prayer. From the moment we wake up, we are bombarded with tasks that have to happen, everyday burdens that steal away our attention and effort from things that truly matter. We are distracted. We're distracted now more than ever. And and this seemingly innocent diversion has a negative effect on our communication with God. We are discouraged. 
by God's answers to our prayers. Waiting on God is hard. So scripture says you have to be of what? Good courage. If God answers your prayers with a silence or no or not now, remember that he's working on your behalf. And so today we're looking at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 4, and it's not a prayer by Paul for others. It's a prayer request Paul made to his readers. In verse 2, Paul answers the question, how should we pray? Then in verse 3 through 4, he answers the question, what should we say when we pray? From it, we learn to cultivate a life of prayer. And so online campus, in the room right here in TLCC uh, at West Orange, are you ready for this adventure of prayer? All right, let's ride. Three ways then to cultivate a life of prayer. Here's three ways that we can cultivate a life of prayer. How should we pray? Number one, be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Colossians chapter four, verse two says, devote yourselves to prayer. The word devote means to grab hold of something and not let go. It's similar to tug of war. One team grabs one end of the rope and the other team grabs the other end of the rope. And normally what you do when you had tug of war times is you put the small people up front and the big people in the back near the, <laughs> near the rear. And someone would yell, go, keep pulling. People would start shouting, don't give up. Don't let go. You hang in there. And if you lose, you would be dragged across the sand. (laughs) So to devote yourselves in prayer means to hang on. No matter what happens, you never give up on prayer, even if it seems useless. Always be ready to pray. Pray when you feel like it. Pray when you don't feel like it. Pray when you believe in it. Pray when you doubt it. Pray when your heart's filled with faith and pray when you don't even have the habit to do it. Keep praying. Do you ever feel like giving up? Of course we do. Paul knew this and that's why he says keep at it. If anyone knew how easy it was to quit praying, it was Paul. If anyone seemingly was justified in quitting prayer, it would be Paul. But the first thing he says to the Colossians and he says to us is, don't quit. Continue steadfastly in prayer. I understand why we stop praying at times, and so does Paul. A couple of circumstances in life that could could cause us to stop praying. You're praying, you lost a job. You have a prolonged unemployment. You prayed, you're qualified, and it, and it seems as though there's no leads, there's no answers. We grieve over the deaths of loved ones that are so sudden, or maybe we were praying for them and they were getting better and then they passed away. We feel as though, why pray? A family member that you're praying for to come to faith but they move further and further away from God. Broken relationships that we tried to save, we prayed about it, but it failed. We throw our hands in the air and we say, what is this thing called prayer? Should I even do it? Why should I pray? It's not working. Hardships will come. Setbacks happen. And this is the reason why Paul commands us to be devoted to prayer. We all know what it means to be devoted to something. 
It means you persist through the good times and the bad times. It means you continue to work at something. You continue to struggle at times, day after day. This is what Paul is telling us to do in prayer. Keep at it. Don't quit. And so I believe the tug-of-war illustration is exactly what Paul's talking about in our day-to-day living. Life is a constant struggle to walk in the spirit, to walk in the new person that Jesus calls us to, to reckon ourselves dead to our old nature and alive to Christ. But I want you to know this. It's an illustration of there's one side and there's the other side, right? And our side, we're with Jesus, is the side of victory. The other side is pulling us to say, come on, stop praying. You don't need to do this. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to serve God. Go back to the old ways. And then there's the other side. We're on God's side. We're pulling. But some days we feel as though, I can't do it no more. I'm going to give up. And it seems like we're, we're going to be defeated. But then we pray and we get the strength from God and the Holy Spirit to what? To be in victory. And so God says, you're on this side. You're on the victorious side. Continue to pull. Continue to be strong in prayer. And don't give up. Amen. So he says, be devoted to it. But he says, we just can't be devoted to it. There's other things we have to do. What's the second point that Paul makes? He says, be watchful in prayer. Be watchful. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, being watchful. And so this word means to stay awake or be alert. That's good advice for prayer, and that's good advice for sermon listening. (laughs) This is a call for earnest prayer. It's the opposite of sleepiness or laziness or coldness or indifference to it. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to be distracted when you pray? Just as you're about to bow your head, your cell phone rings. Or or thoughts about... Did I turn off the oven in the kitchen? Did I send that report to my supervisor today? I think the deadline was the end of the day. What time is my first meeting? And all these thoughts come in your your head. Or it's a quiet morning and you say, I'm going to devote my time to prayer now. And as you begin to pray, the landscapers cut the grass. Oh, man. Or maybe it's the the reverse. I'm about to pray and you fall asleep. Sometimes it seems as though the enemy's best work is when we begin to pray. So Paul says, be watchful in prayer. Be watchful in prayer. If we're to be watchful in prayer, we must be aware of what is around us in the spiritual and also in the physical realms. We must see the need so we know what to pray and how to pray. And so being watchful is to have an informed prayer life. The workplace, the community that you live, the people that you interact with daily becomes information that drives your prayer life. Through the, through the workplace, we're perfectly placed to be watchful in prayer. The felt needs of our community, the town, our families, and nation are expressed to us every day. When we see our roles as ministers 
in these environments, we are to be watchful. It will affect how we see and how we respond to news reports, local government, and everything around us. A lot of times we can look at what's going on around us and we get discouraged and we don't want to be, we get, we get fearful. And, and the scriptures are telling us not to be fearful, but let that drive your prayer life. And so can you think of a time when you become aware of a need in the workplace or your family of some kind and you say, I need to pray about it? And have you what? Shared that need with others in the church to stand together in prayer. I want to give you a personal example. So my, my daughter uh, is 11. She's here today. Uh, I told her about this so she's not embarrassed. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> but she starts sixth grade Tuesday. And I'm thinking, as I always say to her in our conversations, and she ends the sentence, I go, you know, it was like yesterday that you were a baby and I was holding you in my arms. And she goes, yeah, daddy, I know, I know. But she's in sixth grade, junior high school. She has a lot of extracurricular activities that she pursues. And I could get fearful of that as a dad. You want your daughter to grow up, to fear God, and to love God, follow in the faith. And we also know that we live in a world that's contending and fighting what we believe. We get that. And so instead of being fearful, I prayed. And I've been starting to pray differently about my daughter. And, and, and I know that I'm limited. I can't be around her 24-7. But I know someone who's unlimited. And that's God. 24-7. He never sleeps or slumbers. And so my prayer life has been these four points. And you can pray this for your kids, parents, from kindergarten to master's degree. <laughs> my prayer is surround her with people will, that will encourage her. Surround her with people that will encourage her. Surround her with people who will help her and not hinder her. People that will come alongside of her in the difficult times of life and be there with her. I, I pray, surround her with people that will stir her faith and trust God. People that will tell her, no, you need to trust God, Michaela. Have faith in God. Don't you ever give up in your faith in Jesus. And then fourth, I pray that God would surround her with people that she would love wisdom and chase after understanding. Love wisdom and chase after understanding. Amen? Are you with me, TLCC? Yes. Online campus, put those praying hands and thankful emojis up if you're tracking with me today. But Paul says, we gotta be watchful in our prayer life. We gotta be devoted in our prayer life. And then he says, we gotta be thankful. We gotta be thankful. He says this in Colossians chapter four, verse two. He says, devote yourselves to prayer being Watchful and thankful. In other words, immerse your prayers in thanksgiving. Immerse your prayers in thanksgiving. I believe Paul includes this phrase because he wants to instill in us confidence rather than fear of an uncertainty as we pray. And so he says, thank God 
in your prayers. Be thankful in your prayers. It's his way of saying, yes, by all means, be devoted, be fervent in your prayers. But know this, God is always and ever on his throne. And so the battle is ultimately his on our behalf. He says, let gratitude for what God has already done permeate your prayer life. In this way, you'll never lose hope. You'll never fall into despair or live in fear thinking that somehow, some way, God has abandoned you. No, he's not abandoned you. But how do we do this? What does it mean to pray with thanksgiving, to immerse your prayers in thankfulness to God? Here are a few thoughts. Number one, pray with gratitude, thanksgiving, right, that God is actually there. I'm going to kind of explain in a minute. Secondly, pray with thanksgiving that God not only lives and loves, but also actually listens to what we say. And then third, pray with thanksgiving that the God who lives, loves, and listens is also more than able to do above and beyond all that we can ask or think. Amen? Let me, let me give you a little explanation on each principle. First, pray with thanksgiving that God is actually there alive and alert and never sleeping. We do not speak into the air when we pray. We're not praying to the walls and they bounce off the walls. No. And we don't pray to a God who's preoccupied with what? More important issues. So when you come to him with your issue, he's concerned. He's not a God that goes, I'm running the universe right now. That has to wait. That's not our God. He wants to know what you're dealing with. We are speaking to God of the universe who dearly loves us and tells us in Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then what? Approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Secondly, pray with thanksgiving. That God not only lives and loves, but he also listens to what we say. He hears us. God hears us when we pray. Scripture gives us this confidence in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Doesn't it give you confidence when you know you have a conversation with someone and they're hearing you and listening to what you are saying, right? This is what the scriptures are teaching us. Third, pray with thanksgiving that the God who lives, loves, and listens is also more than able to do above and beyond all we ask or think. It's good to know that God is alive and well. He lives. It's good to know that he loves. It's good to know that he listens. But it's more importantly good to know that he can come through on his promises because he's able, because he is God. And so I'm so thankful that the God to whom we pray to isn't weak, but he's omnipotent. And he's initially so much wiser than us, and he delights in giving good things to those who ask of him. So pray, pray thanking God that he's chosen to include you in the process. The, the, there are times when God puts 
dreams in our hearts, aspirations in our heart, goals in our hearts, and he gives it to us right away. There are other times, and it seems the majority of times, when God puts those things in our hearts, those aspirations, goals, and dreams in our hearts, and then he makes us wait. Often, we can wonder what God is doing. We begin to ask the question, did I really hear from God? Or perhaps the biggest question we ask is, God, what is taking you so long? I have found that during those times of waiting, God prepares us for his promise. Yeah. During our waiting, he teaches us things. He grows our character, our faith, our ability to do what we feel called to do. And God takes us through a process. And the question is, will you trust the process? And so if you're a basketball fan, it's almost been a decade since this phrase, trust the process, became a thing in Philadelphia. Former 76ers general manager Sam Hinkie once coined the term as uh, euphemism for his squad, uh, which actually what that meant was tanking. They lost games on purpose so they could get better draft picks. Um, but what can we learn from trusting the process from a spiritual perspective? Trusting the process means that in both our best efforts and our worst failures, God is working everything out together for good. For good. We can be assured that God who works in us, both to will and to work for what? His good pleasure. And God could have ordained that all this would be accomplished independently of your participation, but he didn't. He has chosen to achieve his ultimate ends through means of our prayers. Pray, thanking God for all the ways he's changing you as you pray. Wholehearted, humble prayer transforms us. Our ideas of God become elevated. Our awareness and our personal dependency becomes intensified. The magnitude of God's power and providence is manifest in ways that we might not behold. So our dreams, our hopes, our desires become cleansed and purified as we humbly submit to his will. So immerse your prayers in thanksgiving to God that you're being asking him graciously to do something in the lives of you, but also in the lives of others as well. Hey, if we're not grateful for the salvation and healing and mercy granted us, how can we possibly be fervent and diligent in asking that God do the same for others? Pray with gratitude to God, not simply for what he has done, but what he will do. Thank him in advance for what he will do and the response to your requests. And so how should we pray? Devoted, watchful, thankful. But now Paul answers the question, what should we say when we pray that we can learn something from this request? Colossians chapter four, verse three through five, he says this. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for you for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to this small city of Colossae. It was probably written while Paul was in prison in Rome. It's interesting that Paul doesn't ask prayer for his release from prison. He doesn't ask for prayer to deal with his loneliness or that the church provide for him. 
What should we say when we pray? Paul, there was only one pressing issue, and that issue was that he'd be a faithful witness to his Lord Jesus Christ. So when we pray, do we ask God that we're a faithful witness of Christ to others? Is our heart convicted of this? We at times can focus on just all of our stuff and material things, but eternity is at stake. And so Paul asked for two specific requests in his prayer. Number one, an open door. He says in Colossians 4.3, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. The first thing Paul desires is the opportunity to present the gospel. He desires the chance to talk with the guards, the, the civil officials and other inmates. He wants to be able to get the word out to whoever will listen. Do we pray for God to open doors? Are we praying that God will give us opportunities to reach others? Do we pray for our church that we might be granted a hearing by the people of this community? Do we pray that God would open doors to our online campus and homes that are in darkness right now, that they may hear the love and heed the light of Christ? Are we praying for our young people that the doors might be opened this fall, that they would share the gospel in their classrooms and their friends? Do we pray that doors would open in the entertainment industry, in government, in the arts? Here at TLCC, we have the School of the Arts. Maybe the School of the Arts can have a major impact on this region, our schools, in the workplace. TLCC, we are next door to the media capital of the world where they spend 19.7 billion with a capital B every year on entertainment. Maybe God has strategically positioned us at TLCC to have the School of the Arts to creatively present the arts that would bring God glory and transform lives forever. Do we believe that? Do we pray for open doors for our family and neighborhood? So Paul says, I just need an open door to be a faithful witness. And then he says, number two, I want a clear presentation. Colossians 4, 3 says, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Paul is so practical. He understands that God needs to be at work in every area of our life if he's going to transform anything and anyone. Paul does not even trust his own ability to communicate the truth clearly. He asks that the Colossians pray that what he speaks is truth, but it's clear. See, because anyone can talk, but few communicate. Our goal then is not to just talk about Jesus. We want to convey to them the power of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, and the beauty of Jesus. Many times, People may ask us questions, and we might not have the answers, and we're afraid to talk about it. But I want you to know some things you're not going to have the answer for. But one thing you can convey is God's love, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, and his beauty. And we'll take that to the ends of the world. So words are, can, can be appropriate, but they have to be appropriate for the demographic we're dealing with. If you're talking to a, a, a child, the words are different than if you're talking to an older person or a teenager or a family member or, or a coworker or a best friend. So we must pray that God use us 
and use us well. And we pray that we be alert for open doors and we can carefully speak the word of God under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 6, start to wrap up here. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, Jesus gave us a blueprint for prayer. Paul's prayer was for the gospel to be clearly communicated and that doors would be open. And so how can we apply this principle to other prayer requests that are on our heart? We can use the six petitions of the model prayer, I believe, as a template or a grid to pray for those requests that are on your heart. I believe it would go something like this. The first request in Scripture in Matthew 6 is, hallowed be your name. And so whatever your request is, pray that God would be glorified in that situation or in that person. The second request is your kingdom come. So here we would pray that people would know Jesus or grow spiritually and that God's kingdom purposes would be advanced through your requests. The third request is what? Your will be done. So here we pray, not our ideas, not our plans, not our will would be done, but God's will would be done in our life and the lives of others as well. And then the fourth request is give us this day our daily bread. That speaks about our need. So here we would pray that God would provide whatever the need is for us or another person. And then the fifth request is forgive us our debts. Here we ask God would grant forgiveness. Why? We fall short every day by thought, word, and deed. Maybe it's personal. We have to ask God for forgiveness of our own sins. That something may be hindering that request from happening. Or maybe it's another person and we ask God, forgive them because you're a God of forgiveness. And maybe their relationship grows stronger. They come to know Christ and his love and the beauty of God. And that answer comes for them. And then the final request is, lead us not into temptation. Here we pray for spiritual protection for us, for the people who we're, we're asking this request for, that we may not do anything evil in trying to accomplish what God wants us to do. Praying this model helps us to pray very specifically and purposely for one single request, and it helps us to pray scripturally according to God's will, which then gives us what? Confidence that he's hearing us and he's going to answer. And so my intention today was not to make us feel guilty. My intention today is to spur us on. My intention today is to spur myself on, to devote myself to prayer because the Lord is the one who changes hearts and lives and only he can strengthen us in these dark times. It's only the Lord who can give us the guidance and the peace that we need. He's the one who restores relationships. He's the one that gives us hope in the storm and we need his help. It's time for us to open our hearts to the Father. It's time for us to run to the Father and devote ourselves to the one who's devoted to us. May I offer a prayer? Father, we thank you because you want us to be fervent in prayer, devoted to prayer, but also watchful. When we see things happening 
it informs our prayer life. Doesn't shouldn't discourage us because we're we're coming to you. And so let us be thankful, Lord, that you're using us to accomplish your your will, your purposes on such a high level. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us your strength as we run closer and closer to you this week. In Jesus' name. Thank you.